Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Doctor Trifflegas, a fantastic tale, or Frit Frack, uh, or the ordeal of Doctor Trifflegas. There's a whole lot of titles for this. Um, first published in 1884 in French, and then in English in 1892 in The Strand, and then in Saturn magazine, which was a short-lived science fiction and fantasy magazine in 1957. Um, and I think it's been in some collections. It, it's below, it was below my radar for a lot of time, um, even though I put up this... Uh, the, the version you, you've got in your hand, the ordeal of Doctor Trifflegas, um, uh, years ago, uh, probably because I was biased against Jules Verne because I thought he was so jokey, and I, I like my sci- science fiction serious. Um, but although this one is jokey too, um, it's also quite profound, I think, and uh, and it could have been published in Weird Tales um, as. It is a very weird tale, and mm. and has so so many interesting aspects that seem almost frivolous to the point it's making, but I don't think they are. Like, uh, w- but before we get into that, I, I have a question: Why is the main character's name Trifflegas? Because names usually play a role in in Vern's stuff, right? Yeah, they do. I, I couldn't I, I, quite figure I, I, it out. I, I, um, I, I really am not sure. Uh, it, this is a story that Verne wrote comparatively late in life. He's in his 50s. Mm-hmm. This comes out. Um, it, the word gas, uh, which is pronounced, you pronounce the S, unlike some words that end in S in French. Um, the word gas in French means what it means in English. Mm-hmm. And he had already written stories in which gas figures, mm-hmm. um, like the experiment of Dr. Ox. Mm-hmm. Oxygen. Um, right. And uh, Eugène is the name of uh, his assistant, and Ox and Eugène get together. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's not clear to me. I mean – Vern, it, it is Vern, playing a Vern, role, though, Vern right? Read, Vern could read English. And so it is possible that Trifle Gas has something to do with trifle. I, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, one could decompose that name in many ways. One of the things that's surprising about this story, given how Vern usually constructs stories, is that it is full of conspicuous neologisms. Mm. And not only are they conspicuous, the Sumerian hills and, you know, uh, look torp or trop or tol, if you were pronouncing it in French, mm-hmm. uh, as the town where it's set. Not only is it full of neologisms, but whoever t- is telling the story actually ends by saying, you're not going to find this place anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know to what extent we're supposed to look at a name like Trifflegas here and think, ah, it refers to A, B, or C, or rather, this is a name that we're not supposed to be able to pin down, as we are not supposed to be able to pin down 
so many of the others because this is on a, this is a place and a people who have no ability to appear on a map. Yeah, and I, I think he's I think he's going for how shall I say either fairy tale or mythic significance. Mm. Uh, I don't view this as a horror story. I view this as a surreal story. Mm. It does have its jokes in it as well. Uh, does that? Yeah, I yeah. No, I, I mean it's it's not it, it's not a comedy piece. Although there's some things that make me laugh, um, I think they're they're kind of seriously uh, interesting rather than like just well that's unexpected. Um, but I, I I feel like everything ha- because you know when I I first read um, Around the World in Eighty Days. Um, uh-huh. As a as a very young person, I all the names didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> They're just names, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, but, but they, they were strange. I noticed they were strange, so they were jokey, right? right. But then, as an as an adult, I'm reading it and like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. And he's he's sort of satirizing everybody and everything, um, and and that continues in. Um, there's one uh, journey to the center of the earth where. I read that not too long ago, and that again, it, the names are either they're real people or he's making up characters, and the character names are uh, jokes and stereotypes and all sorts of fun things. Um, here, I feel like because he's doing that not just to the people, um, he's doing it to the landscape and and the this land that is not france not brittany but has some resemblance to some things that might be like that um i i feel like all of these are playing a role that i i, I guess we're both not able to see precision you know passepartout i get it right i don't yeah. get i don't get triffle gas here but there's a lot of gas in this story right um the wind is it's right in the original title um, the uh, the volcanic eruption, that volcano is not there for no reason, right? So there's some sort of, as you're saying, a fairy tale or mythic role, and I think the setting here is incredibly interesting. But there's also a story, and the story is reminds me very much of one by Guillaume Poisson uh, called uh, "Who Knows" or "Kiffe," I think is the French original, um, which is about a man who. Uh, finds himself going mad, is told to go on vacation. Um, when he he goes on vacation, he finds himself made mad there, returns home, and uh, we're, we're pretty much convinced by the end that he's a madman. Um, this is not a story of a madman, but there's all sorts of things going on in it that make make me see, think that maybe like this mythical land is entirely internal and that the external uh things that are happening are is is it's like that uh famous opening line right it was a dark and stormy night mm-hmm. right why is this volcano erupting why is this sea water blowing uh onto the shore like causing why why are the streets made of pebbles and seaweed and ash right okay i guess the ash is from the volcano but there's something going on with all of this and yet um that's not the story that's just the setting would you care to try and illuminate the story uh i just want to make sure we've got the plot such as it is down Mm -hmm. um 
the story begins with the narrator, whoever that may be. Um, it's but it's a third person narrator mm-hmm. <clears throat> putting us immediately into the storm. Whew, the wind is on the rampage. It says in English, the French is actually uh, different. It says, Frit, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose we're supposed to think is the, an equivalent of who um, Sullivan Kissadeshen. Right. It's the wind that unleashes itself. It unchains itself. So um, I don't know if it's a rampage or not. That's perhaps too much of a personification. The title, Frit Flak, in fact, are the words that are used to represent the storm. Mm -hmm. Second line in the French is Flak. C'est la pluie qui tombe à torrent. Right. Flak. It's the rain that comes down, falls down in torrents. Mm -hmm. So the title of the story in French is The Storm. It focuses on that Mm -hmm. rather than on Dr. Trifelgas. Right. Okay. So we have the story. It opens with the storm. Then we find out that it's in a place which is, you know, the Volsinian coast, uh, the slopes. It's on a, a town on the slopes of uh, the mountains of Crima, mm-hmm. there is a town called Lucktrop, and uh, this is not French at all because K doesn't exist in the French alphabet, only in borrowed uh, words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our main, our focal character is this doctor who is, as you say, it's a jokey story in some regards. He's constantly um, used as a vehicle to criticize the medical profession for inventing things in order to extract money from people. Right. And so the doctors only care about people they can get money from. They don't care about the poor. This guy is awakened in the middle of the stormy night by a woman who says, my father is dying. He says, who is it? It's too far away. He's not willing to get the money. It's not enough money. So he says, go away. You should both die. Awakened again, turns out to be the wife of the same fellow, Again, he says, not enough. And the third time, it's the mother of the same fellow. Um, and she offers 120 of these bizarre <laughs> units of money that they have in this mm-hmm. town. And he's, he's, no, he wants 200. But then he thinks, you know, a little profit is better than no profit. He agrees to go. And he goes through the storm with his faithful mongrel dog, who's been trained to hold a lantern in his teeth. So that he can light the way. And he goes, <laughs> Dr. Trifelgas, with the mother and the dog. But the volcano that is behind the town and that serves as a beacon so that ships know how to get to this town. Uh, frankly, I think that's exactly the opposite of what you want. Mm. Right. You want a lighthouse that says this is the edge. Don't come any closer. It's danger. You don't want a beacon that says, "Yeah, hey, come this way. And then, oops, <laughs> you hit the land by mistake. Um, but anyway. Uh, there's an explosion from the volcano. The blast adds to the blast of the storm. Triple gas is knocked out. He, uh, when he arises, the woman is gone. Uh, but it says, honest man that he is. Having been paid, he's going to go on and, and do the deed. He's going to go attend to the patient. Now, we've been told the triple gas is lives in one of the nicest houses in the town mm-hmm. is known in the English as the four and six uh, bizarre. I have no idea why the translator did that because in the French it's known as the six, four. Mm-hmm. 
Any way you look at it, though, six times four is 24. And so there's perhaps the round of a day implied in this mm. house, which has six uh, windows on one side and four on the other, and apparently none on the other two sides. So I, I have an idea about that, by the way. We'll get back to it. Please do. Um, so he goes, and uh, it turns out that this guy, who is a, um, in the English, he's a biscuit maker, but in the French, he, he makes crackers, um, which I think it's a difference worth understanding because biscuits are sweet and crackers typically are not, and crackers are more friable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they crack. It's, it's craquelin in French and cracker in English. Um, he goes to and when he gets into this fellow's house, which looks a lot like his own house, and it sort of looks like this very unusual four and six or six four. Um, he he looks down and it's himself, and so now he really works in earnest to try to save the guy's life, but he doesn't, and he feels himself getting deader and deader. And to make this story come to its end, um, in the morning. People go into the four and six house or the six and four house and they find only one body and it's Dr. Trifflegas and they go and bury him um, near other patients, not whom he has had, but other patients whom he has sent there first. Mm-hmm. So it continues the, the critique of doctors. It's 1884. Uh, physicians don't actually have a whole lot they can do for most people. It's even before the invention of aspirin. Um, and the the dog apparently continues to haunt the area, but the last line, the last paragraph says, the, the, the last two paragraphs, the, the narrator speaks in his own voice. I do not know whether this is true, the story he's just told, but so many strange things happen in Volsinia, and especially in the vicinity of Lucktrop. At any rate, I repeat, do not look for this town on the map, since its latitude and even its longitude continue to remain a matter of dispute. Among the best cartographers, it simply is not there. Mm. So it leaves us the question, where is it? And I think it is either, one way of looking at it, it's in the mind of Trifflegas, but I don't think that's true because it's an exterior view the narrator gives us. Mm-hmm. I think it is either mythic or surreal. And it's a vehicle for critique, but it goes beyond that. It has to do with what binds a community together. Um, this this dying cracker maker, this fellow who produces food that is meant to be used with other food, has a mother, a wife, and a and a daughter. Mm-hmm. He's involved, as far as we can tell. All Trifflegas has is a mongrel dog. Mm-hmm. And so in this surreal environment, we see that a desire for money correlates with a severance from human community. In fact, Verne is a satirist, but he's a satirist with a very humane heart. And I think this story fits into that. Mm-hmm. It should Every day, hence the six four, or four and six. Mm. So, uh, I I, I want to make note of that I didn't know the original uh, French occupation of the. I, I didn't read it in the original French, but uh, of the, um, the the ailing man we're told about, who, who we sort of never meet and sort of do. 
but uh, in the 1892 Strand edition, he's a herring salter. Um, everybody wants to fiddle with this story, right? Uh, changing the address and such. Um, but in all the versions I've read, the the most important part is he goes out finally to help after after three knockings, right? Three different people come to the door. Oh, young woman, a middle-aged woman, and an old woman all come to the door begging for assistance. His dog is howling, right, at the door. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out eventually, um, wanders off the in the direction of this other town that w- we've never heard of before. Um, and then when that volcanic eruption happens... Not only does the woman disappear, uh, it says almost like she disappeared into the earth or was swept away by the wind. Um, the dog, who we had just previously had a great scene with, um, uh, the dog almost seeming to say something, is now on its hind legs. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's the point of the story. Like, okay, things are strange now, right? And when he returns, or when he continues on his path, since he's been paid, um, he finds that this other town is, contains a house uh, that looks very much like his, with six and four windows. Um, he goes up the banister, which has been worn away in the same way his his banister has been worn away. Um, earlier, we had seen him when he was leaving the house. He left a lantern on his desk, or a table, with uh, it open to the pay, page 197, I think it was, of um, mm-hmm. uh, Pharmacopoeia. And at this point, I'm like, you know, numbers are playing a lot of role in this. Like, uh, I'm, uh, names are important. Sound is incredibly important in this story. And numbers are really important. I'm like, what does this all mean? So um, when he opens that curtain to the bed and finds a man who looks like himself there, I'm like, this is not the normal science fiction story that, you know, uh, it's a, or a comedy piece or I didn't know what it was. Right. But what I did notice is that it's, it's almost self-contained, right. And circular. And, and, and that opening is so important to setting the, the setting in the same way that it was a dark and stormy night is, is about, it's not an actual night in the 19th century. It's just a night. And the important part is the storminess is a reflection of some mood that the author is trying to set. Or in this case, the body of the of Dr. Trifogas. Um, Frit Flack, as a title, I can see why they changed it for English. But on the other hand, um, that's really the focus, I think. It's, it's the, this what's happening those ex- the explosions of the volcano, the, the blowing of the wind. And I want to read, um, I've marked up the uh, 1892 version, so it's going to be slightly different from yours, but I want to read a, a few passages from the opening. Um, so this is describing the volcano. That's on the first column of the 1892 and probably on the first page of the uh, 1957. The volcano is not far distant. It is called Voglor. During the day, it sends forth sulfurous vapors. At night, from time to time, great outpourings of flame, like a lighthouse carrying 150 
Kurtz is. Uh, I don't know what a Kurtz is, but they seem to use it for measure measuring um, distance. And then, mm-hmm. of course, we've got the money that also has its own uh, description, uh, its own name. Everything is is changed. And then, it can, uh, you just skip down a little bit here. On the other side of the town are ruins dating from the Cremarian era, which is, Crema is the name of the mountains, right? So it makes sense. Then a suburb, Arab in appearance, much like a kasbah, with white walls, domed roofs, and sun-scorched terraces, which are all nothing but accumulations of square stones thrown together at random. Interesting. Veritable dice are these, whose numbers will never be effaced by the rust of time. And in my version, time is capitalized. It's been deified, right? And then we get the description of his house. Among others, we notice the 6-4, a name given to a curious erection having six openings on one side and four on the other. So, to me, I've been, like, drawing this out, and what do I see? I see dice, right? The house has six on one side and four on the other. Is this... A, why, why is that in here? There's something going on with the, these numbers and randomness. It's like he's taking the symptoms that he's having... And externalizing them, everything, right? His house is this, and it's very interesting. And then we get that, a description of the belfry and blah, blah, blah. Sorry, what are you going to say? I was going to say, this is, this is terrific. I had not put together the notion of the cubes that the houses look like with the idea of dice. But I must tell you, this is both good news and bad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, your translation is not as good as the translation that you shared with the me. Saturn, okay. Yes, the Saturn is a better translation. Neither is a perfect translation, no. but the Saturn is a better translation. For example, you read, and I, I don't see it, but I heard you reading it, that those um, cubes would never be um, effaced. Mm-hmm. Right? By In the fact, rest that's, of time. that's exactly the opposite of what it says. Oh. Right? And the Saturn says that they were covered by the patina of time. And in fact, it says the points will be effaced under the, the patina of time right. in French. Dans le point, ce serait effacé sous la patine du temps. There is also, so, so in fact, that's why we don't realize what's going on. You were quite right to pick it up when it says in the version that I read that the houses look there as if they were adventure. That mm. is a new word, venture. In fact, the French says hasard, and hasard, par hasard, means by chance. Mm. And games of chance, like dice, are jeu d'hasard, right? So by hazard, meaning by chance, the, the ideas behind the world being a gamble are there. And the question is, will you roll the dice for 120 fretzers mm. or 20 fretzers or do you need a whole 200 fretzers? I think that's really, really clever of you to pick that up, Jesse, because it suggests that while you're trying to do these calculations, you are still, in fact, in a world in which calculation is beyond us. And I would point out that the French, when it says that these points will be effaced under the patina du temps, the word temps, T-E-M-P-S, 
means time. Mm-hmm. It's, it surely does. But it is also one of the synonyms for, and you will understand this if I say it in French first, tempête. That is, temps and tempest mm. are to some extent synonymous. So Frit Frack is a story about being buffeted by the tempest, but it's also a story about trying to survive time. And of course, none of us does. We, no one gets out of here alive. Mm-hmm. Anyone who thinks that he can sell the, the ability to prevent that is a charlatan, no matter how honest he may be mm. in terms of the fixed, explicit laws of, of a given time. But this is even more of an existential story than I had realized mm. at first. Putting together your insight in the French... Uh, il me plaît beaucoup. Well, thank you. I want to I want to um, go back to that scene with the dog uh, seeming to talk, and maybe you can enlighten us with the French original. But when 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 the when the, uh, that happened, I I just I thought, oh, that's cute. And then it goes on and on, um, and and then when the dog's up on its hind legs, this is like not. This is this is no longer just like oh the dogs that's what we're speculating or the narrator or Trifogus is speculating as to what the dog's saying. Just the fact that a dog can carry a lantern in its mouth is kind of interesting. I, I I can imagine that you could train a dog to do that, no doubt, right? But the dog mm-hmm. is there for a reason in the story. It it howls like a wolf at the beginning of the story when the first uh, young woman comes to the door. And it's howling at the end. And then, of course, uh, right before that, n- don't look for it on every map, on any map. Um, at the end, we get uh, the ghost of of this dog haunting this land that doesn't really exist. It's, it's amazing to think of all the details that are in this very incredibly short story. Um, mm-hmm. it's, built, it's really a secondary world he's built up. But I want to read that section from uh, part five, uh, where the dog uh, is walking along beside the master. These two persons, that is the old woman, the mother, uh, sorry, the grandmother, I guess, of the, of the young daughter and the mother of the, the, the sick man. Uh, these two persons go on thus as far as the turn in the road between sand hills where the brooms and the reeds clashed together with a shock like that of bayonets. The dog had drawn near to his master and seemed to say to him, quote, Come, come, a hundred and twenty fretzers for, a strong, for the strong box. That is the way to make a fortune. Another rood added to the vineyard. Another dish added to our supper. Another meat pie for the faithful Herzoff. That's the dog's name. Let us look after the rich invalids and look after them according to their purses. I love that the dog is like concept of money. <laughs> he doesn't, he's not just trained to carry the lantern. He's, right. So there's something going on here. And then at that spot, the old woman pauses. But, but he doesn't actually, I mean, the narrator doesn't say that the dog says it. Remember, it says it seemed as if he it, said Exactly, but then it continues. At that spot, the old woman pauses with her hand trembling finger. With her trembling finger, she points out among the shadows a reddish light. And to me, I thought that was that's the volcano, right? There is the house, Vort Cartif, 
The Herring Salter. Again, that name, Vort Cartif, is interesting. There, said the doctor. Yes, said the old woman. Hurrah, cries the dog, her, hers off. Wow, now the dog is literally saying human words, right? Oh, no, that's not in the French. Oh, what's in the original? In the French, the dog says, ow. <laughs> yeah. H-A-R-R-A-O-U-H. Ow. <laughs> okay. And then... Um, we have that uh, that amazing thing that happens. A sudden explosion from the Volgur, Volglor. Again, uh, the name means something, I'm sure. Shaken to its very base, a sheaf of lurid flame springs up to the zenith, forcing its way through the clouds. Dr. Trifocus is hurled to the ground. He swears roundly, picks himself up, and looks about him. The old woman is no longer there. Has she disappeared through some fissure of the earth? Or has she flown away on the wings of the mist? As for the dog, he is there, still, standing on his hind legs. What? <laughs> his jaws apart, his lantern extinguished. Nevertheless, we will go on, mutters Dr. Ford. Doesn't mind the fact that his dog's standing on his hind legs. Um, this is where we, we are like, something is uh, rotten in the state of, of, of look drop. Definitely something's weird is going on. I found this a very astounding surprise. Wow. I, I'm, I'm glad you got out of it what you got out of it. I must say uh, you must be in telepathic communication with Vern because the translation you've got obscures or misleads mm. in so many ways. Mm. Oh, I did. I, I had read the version you've got, but um, I, I also think that the illustrations helped me. Um, in the for, for example, you said, if I'm hearing you correctly, mm-hmm. you said that Dr. Trifogas swore roundly. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking in terms of the kind of social critique that this story has, it's perhaps worth noting that in the French it says, Il jure comme un chrétien. Se relève, regarde. He swears like a Christian. Ah. Pulling himself up and looking around. Mm. He doesn't swear roundly, he swears mm-hmm. like a Christian. Mm. All the stuff having to do with faith. I don't know, is Van Gloire vainglorious? Gloire was glory in French, and mm-hmm. Van means empty, just as Vain does in older English. When the woman stands up, um, she stands up, which happens in the next line. The old woman um, is no longer behind him. La vieille n'est plus derrière lui. Okay? Derrière mm-hmm. lui. She's right. no longer behind him. In the next line, quant au chien, as for the dog, il est toujours là, he's still there, debout sur les pattes de derrière, standing on his hind legs. So notice in English, mm. there's connection between the fact that she's no longer there and the, the dog. But in the French, they're both having to do with the derrière, mm-hmm. the behinds. There's all kinds of really good connections. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's not just um, fumes that come out of Van Gogh. They are, in fact, sulfurous fumes. Mm-hmm. The translation you gave me and in the French. In other words, there's a connection with hell. And we're told that you can't look Good down point, yeah. what's at the bottom here. That's this right. is not just a critique of the doctors. It's a critique of the society that seems to say, now we can judge honesty and dishonesty because we've got a set of rules. And the set of rules say... If you're paid to do it, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. That makes an honest man. But Trifelgas is not an honest man. He is, in fact, 
a miser who cares nothing about people. Mm-hmm. So this, you've pointed us in a couple of really good directions here, and I just wish that you and I together and anyone who is listening to us could also be reading it along in the French. Yeah. If they want to, they should be looking it up under the title Frit Flock, F-R-R-I-T-T hyphen F-L-A-C-C. Mm-hmm. It is available online. I love it. Well, that's because in at least two languages, there's always more to say. <laughs> and remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.